0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ, and I want to thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We are in an all out battle with the forces of Satan, yet our hope is not lost. We can overcome. Today's lesson takes a look at Revelation 12 and the picture of the woman, her seed, and the seven headed dragon so that we can learn how to overcome Satan. I hope our study lifts you up and strengthens you for the battle this week. So get out your Bibles, open up to Revelation 12, And let's learn how to overcome Satan. We are at war. This is a war that's been going on since the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, we see the war described as God rebuked the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve. He says there in Genesis 3, 14, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We need to recognize that this prophecy is not merely the story of snakes and men. It's the story of this serpent, the devil, and the seed of woman, Jesus. But what's very interesting is that these three characters, the woman, her seed, and the serpent of old, are seen again as if bookending the Bible. Here in Genesis chapter 3 we read about them, but also in Revelation chapter 12 we read about them. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, this is Revelation 12 and verse 1, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. And in verse 9 it tells us about this dragon saying, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Do you see the picture we have here in Revelation 12? The woman who is pregnant with her seed and the serpent. In Genesis chapter 3 we see the war begin. And in Revelation chapter 12, we see the explanation in apocalyptic fashion of this very same war. And we see that the serpent repeatedly is crushed. We continue to read in verse 4, it says, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, Where her child was caught up to God and to His throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for twelve hundred and sixty days. The serpent, Satan, wages war against the woman and her seed. And Satan loses. But we notice another battle beginning in verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now we see the heavenly side of the battle between Satan and the seed of God, between Satan and his messengers and God and his angels. And Satan loses. But we see another battle. In verse 13, When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she, she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. It's a war. It's a war between Satan and those of us who will keep the commands of God. And this war has been going on really since the beginning. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 talks about this war. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul there says to us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In verse 11 he had said, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The dragon is fighting against us. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter says, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary the devil is roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The dragon, the serpent of old. We are at war. Against a tremendous enemy. And in Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, we see the victory. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. For they loved out their lives, even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The battle is on. The victory is in Jesus. Whose side are you on? It doesn't matter how you cut it. We're somewhere in this chapter. It doesn't matter what you want to say. We are somewhere in this chapter, and I'll tell you exactly where we want to be. We want to be with those folks in verse 11. They have conquered him. They have overcome the accuser. They have overcome Satan. He is in a battle against us. He is roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour me. He wants to devour everyone in this room. He wants to devour everyone in this city. He wants to devour everyone in this nation. He wants to devour everyone in this world. And we will either be devoured or we will overcome. We want to be these folks in verse 11. That's where we want to be in this chapter. But how? How do we do it? On well, this text it provides us with three keys. For overcoming Satan, and I'd like for us to examine them, so that we might be those who stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For we, so that we might be those who are sober and watchful and vigilant. And instead of being the meal, we can be the conquerors. Before we look at that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you allow us to be a part of your plan. We're thankful that You have looked down upon us and in mercy provided a mediator for us that we might have salvation. And we pray, Father, that we will submit to the blood of Jesus Christ that our sins can be removed and that we might be more than conquerors. Help us to overcome, Lord, to be strengthened by Your grace and Your might, to understand Your Word so that we might glorify You and shine Your light before the nations. Thank You for this body of believers that we have here. Thank You for those who are visiting with us today. Thank You for everyone here who wants to serve You and strengthens us and lifts us up and helps us to carry on. And Father, I pray that You'd be with us throughout this week as we fight in the battle, that we will be victorious and that we will overcome. Give us Your strength, Lord, and help us to rely on You. Help us to be faithful even unto death that we might be with You in eternal life. Forgive us by the blood of your Son for the times that we have gone over to the other side. And help us to turn away from Satan's snares. Help us to turn away from his traps. Help us to rely on one another and lift one another up. Help us to glorify you. Father, we love you so much and we thank you so much for loving us. through your Son, by whom you demonstrated your love, we pray. Amen. As we consider the concept of overcoming Satan, we recognize already there's a problem. And that is that any of us who have lived any length of time have actually already been overcome. We all know Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In reality, each and every one of us, like Adam and Eve in the beginning, have faced the temptation, and Satan was victorious. We lost our lives. We've lost our souls. But what makes it worse is that as long as we continue to try on our own to overcome Satan, even though we've recognized our sin, if we try to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and and somehow through... Religion, or somehow through our good works, try to overcome Satan. We learn that all we can expect is vain defeat, and at least that's what Paul experienced. In Romans chapter seven and verse fifteen, he says, "I do not understand my own actions." This is Romans seven and verse fifteen. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. In Romans seven and verse eighteen, he continues. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, I know that we might debate and discuss and argue about some of the ins and outs and the specifics of this passage, but I think every one of us with any experience know this feeling. We can say, been there, done that. We've tried on our own. We've, we've said that we wouldn't commit the sin again, and we've committed it again. And what we recognize Paul saying is, as long as I'm trying to be the victor on my own, all I can suffer is defeat. I'm going to fail. But that's the great thing about Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. The very first thing that it demonstrates about these who have conquered, notice what it says. They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb. It's not by their own power. By their own power, they couldn't win. But they conquered by the blood of the Lamb. This is the same Lamb mentioned in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more, Revelation 5 and verse 5, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lion standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the land, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is what the Lamb has done. The Lamb has died and by that been worthy to open the plan of God and through that death has redeemed from every nation, every tribe, every race and every language people who can overcome Satan. But we cannot do it apart from the blood of Jesus. I have no doubt that this was shocking for the Jews who had grown up expecting a physical Messiah, a king who would come out of the sky, who would lead them in battle and in victory over Rome so that they might conquer him and be world conquerors and world rulers. But when we actually get back into the Old Testament, we recognize that that's not what was really prophesied. What was prophesied was a Messiah who would conquer the devil, who would crush the head of the serpent of old. And Isaiah 53 as Brent talked just moments ago before the supper about the prophecies of the Messiah who would come, one of the most profound and most well known is Isaiah chapter 53, but notice what it says in verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's where we are. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In verse 5 it says, He was wounded for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, we are healed. Then in verse 7, He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so He opened not His mouth. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is what the Messiah was going to do. This is what the Messiah did. He was slain. His blood was shed so that we might overcome. It's what God had promised. It's what happened. And without it, we can't win. We've got to understand this. You and I can't go to church enough to win. We can't put enough money in the plate to win. We can't take the Lord's Supper enough to win. We can't do good works enough to win. Apart from the blood of the Lamb, we can't win. But by the blood of the Lamb, we can overcome. If you want to overcome Satan. It's got to be by Jesus' blood. But that's not all the verse says. You would think the way some folks teach today that that was it, that that once we mention the blood of the Lamb, that's all there is to it. But while we recognize that we can't do anything on our own to overcome, and while we recognize that apart from the blood of the Lamb, nothing that we do accomplishes anything, we must not take that to mean that with the blood of the Lamb, we don't have to do anything. In fact, if we keep reading there in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, we notice that it was not only by the blood of the Lamb that they were conquerors, but also by the word of their testimony. By their acknowledgement and confession of the Lamb, we recognize that they were victorious. Notice at the end of the chapter in verse 17, who is it that the dragon is making war on? those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus by the word of their testimony. Now we recognize from passages like Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the place of confessing and testifying our faith in Jesus just in the process of becoming a child of God. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul said, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. We've got to confess our faith in Jesus. In fact, Acts chapter 8 and verse 37 provides a great example of this. Philip was preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch, and the eunuch said, what hinders me from being saved? And Philip said in verse 37, if you believe with all your heart you may. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Confession is is part of that process of overcoming Satan, of even coming into Christ and being saved. But when John wrote in Revelation 12 and verse 11 that they overcame by the word of their testimony, he wasn't just talking about that momentary confession that demonstrates that we're a candidate for baptism to have our sins washed away. He was talking about what Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Verse 31, or verse 32 and verse 33, excuse me. Verse 32 of Matthew 10, it says, So everyone who acknowledges, or your translation may say, confesses. Everyone who confesses me before men, I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. It's not enough to try to get the blood of Jesus in our lives. We've got to be confessing it to others. We've got to be acknowledging that. We have to be displaying that. If we're hiding that only to bring it out here when we're among people of like precious faith as we like to pray, then we're not overcoming Satan. If we're keeping that under wraps, only to let it peek out when other Christians are around us, we're not acknowledging and confessing Jesus. It's by the word of our testimony. But we recognize that while confession and the word of our testimony is in the main a verbal thing, that's not all that's being talked about here. We can't help but see Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 where it says, In the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's not just acknowledging God in word, but it's acknowledging God in deed. It's shining the light on God. It's letting folks see God through us by the way we talk, by the way we act, by the way we live. When we obey God, we are confessing God. When we obey God, we are acknowledging God. When we obey God, we testify to the world that we believe God. When we seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, we testify to the world that we believe God is going to take care of us. When we close the door on our anger and don't allow the sun to go down on our anger and don't allow Satan to have a foothold in our lives because of our bitterness and our resentment, And when we know someone has a problem with us and we go to them, as the Word says, we're testifying to the world that God's way works and that we believe it. We could go on and on with those examples. When we live by God's Word, that is the word of our testimony to the world. That God is true and God is right and His way works and we believe. it. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb but also by the word of our testimony, and both have to be there. Without both, we're just the lion's watch. But if we want to overcome Satan, we'll do it by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. But interestingly, that's not the end of what John revealed there in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, they overcame by the word of their testimony, but verse 11 says they overcame because they did not love their lives even unto death. Now that had a very specific picture for the Christians back when the book of Revelation was written. We know that they endured periods of intense persecution and some of them really did die for their faith. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, as as John wrote the letter to the church at Smyrna, he said, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In verse 13 he said to the church at Pergamum, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you didn't deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So then the death was a very real thing. Being faithful unto death did not mean be faithful until way off in the future I die of natural causes. Being faithful unto death meant being faithful even if that faithfulness itself is what causes me to die. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to get my head around because frankly we don't go through that kind of persecution today. Not here in America. There are some Christians in some parts of the world that I know deal with that, but for us that's tough to to really grasp. Because our faith doesn't lead us to physical death, at least not yet. It doesn't lead us to imprisonment. doesn't lead us to that major physical type persecution. So how does this translate to us? How does this being faithful unto death really fit with us and our lives where we are today in 21st century America? Of course what it means is, is, is that when that does finally start happening again, that we'll be faithful unto death. But I think we can recognize another aspect of that. Think about what Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 talks about what it means to live with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been put to death with Christ. No, I haven't died physically, but the faith that I have has caused me to put myself to death. I'm no longer the one that governs my life. I'm no longer the one that's in control. I'm not sitting on the throne. I'm on the cross and Jesus is on the throne. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And 25, Jesus told His disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life must lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Perhaps at this point in history, in 21st century America, we're not actually called on to physically die in defense of our faith. But how many of us are willing to put our own governing body and our heart to death so that Jesus can govern there? Being faithful, even if it means I put my my own self to death in a spiritual way. We may not be called to die this week, but perhaps we'll be called to cut off our hands this week. Or pluck out our eyes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29 says, Matthew 5 and verse 29, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Being faithful unto death for us, not loving our lives even unto death, the idea of just absolute surrender of just the recognition of whatever is going to help me overcome Satan, that's what I'm going to do. And it may not be because I found some kind of law from God that says give it up, but because it causes me to stumble. Do you notice that little word if? If it causes you to stumble? See, this this is a whole realm of things that, that we may not be able to find a law about. And we can argue when folks tell us, you need to stop doing this. Oh, you can't prove to me from the Bible that I need to stop. But here's the issue. If you can't walk into a particular convenience store without buying a beer, then you just need to stop walking into that convenience store. If you can't watch a particular show without lusting after a particular actor or actress, then you just need to quit watching that show. If you can't have a television in your home without it eating up your time so that you're not devoted to God and, and doing the things that you need to do to be a solid, faithful, Christian, overcoming saint, then you just need to get rid of the television. If you can't hang out with certain people because you just can't avoid gossip and slander when you're around them, then you just need to quit hanging out with them. These are not things that I can go to a verse and say, here's the law on this that everybody needs to do. In fact, everybody may not have to do it. But if it causes you to stumble, cut it off. Get rid of it. Because it'll be better for you to go to heaven without a right hand than to sit there and argue about whether or not it's really a law of God and be devoured by the devil and go to hell. For us, that's what it means to be faithful unto death. That's what it means not to love our lives even unto death. That's how we'll overcome. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by loving Jesus more than we love anything else even if it means we die. Even if it means we think we're going to die. Not living our lives even death. And here's the great thing about this picture. And that is that Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, is not just the victory of that heavenly battle between Michael and the angels fighting against Satan and his angels, the Dragon of old, that's just the declaration of victory, period. Notice what it says in verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. At least in this translation, this is not saying, Woe to you guys who live on earth. Woe to you who, uh, rejoice those who dwell in heaven. Woe to you, gorgeous of the earth. I recognize that we have a physical existence on earth, but do you know where our citizenship is if we're in Christ? If we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 talks about that. Excuse me, chapter 3. Our citizenship, this is verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our citizenship is. We are those who dwell in heaven. You don't believe me? Look in Ephesians chapter 2. That's where chapter 2 is. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. Verse 5 said, By grace you have been saved. And what did he do in verse 6? He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not he will seat us in the heavenly places. He has seated us in the heavenly places. We are those when we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives even to death. We have overcome. We have been seated in the heavenly places. Brethren, we're the ones that are allowed to rejoice because Satan has lost. And we've won. If we just stay on his side. Whose side are you on? How's the word of your testimony? How much do you love your life versus how much do you love Jesus? We can rejoice when we're on His side. I hope today's lesson strengthened you and pumped you up to step onto the battlefield. Let's remember what we learned. First, we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. Second, We overcome Satan by the word of our testimony. Third, we overcome Satan by not loving our lives even unto death. Remember, Satan has already lost. Therefore, we want to be on Jesus' side. Whose side are you on today? We hope you enjoyed this lesson, but more importantly, we hope you were edified and God was glorified. If this lesson helped you, please let others know about it. If you have any questions or perhaps a prayer request, feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.